Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you again on this Friday morning. I have my trusted colleague and Hollywood insider, Keith Rao, with me. Say hello, Keith. Hello, everyone. Great <laughs> to be with you yet again, Tim, on this beautiful Friday. It's fun. We're, we're doing something different this week. For those of you that are watching us on YouTube and um, on Zoom and, and such, you're seeing us with headphones in because we're doing what the rest of the planet seems to be doing. And also, we're have clubhouse going on in our ears so we do have uh we're multitasking today and the only way we could figure it out it's the low tech way um but yeah as long as we can hear each other keith i think we're in good shape i'm pretty sure we can get this yeah. thing <laughs> i gotta get used to the mic the here earphones though that's a little a little different yeah. for me it is like the the free form we don't have i'll there. just if you're a new to Hollywood Breaks, uh, we are just uh, two Hollywood insiders. Uh, Keith and I have been in this industry now for a good over 20 years, you know, probably 100 years combined between the two of us. If you knew Keith, if, you, if you're watching Keith on video, you know what I'm talking about. Ah, <laughs> Come wow. On, we're going to start insulting each other. Let's bring uh, it. We're not. Yeah. Stay away from <laughs> um, but we started this conversation because there's just so much happening within Hollywood and uh, many things are changing, things that are breaking, but there's also a new opportunity to break into Hollywood. And we want to kind of cover the, the blow by blow on a week by week basis and just see the trends that are happening, but also kind of speak to the new opportunities that are coming up. So that's what Hollywood Breaks is all about. That's why we're here having this show and enjoying the time we have together. But honestly, we couldn't do it without Keith. Keith is, and his knowledge base and, and deep friend base that we get our insider information from is uh, the beginning of everything we do. So Keith, I, here's the thing that came up this week I kind of want to talk to you about. Okay. Um, okay, so last week we discussed that Blue Sky was shut down. As we all yeah. know, Blue Sky was the animation portion of Fox. Um, um, and, but the, uh, the conversation about Blue Sky, at least in our circles from the conversation we had, seems to be that people really are asking the question, how could this happen? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense that successful animation studios just shut down. It wasn't sold off. It wasn't moved anybody. You know, <clears throat> what, it's interesting and it's kind of a, a sign of the times, but you know, what do you think is happening and what other things are you hearing? Well, I think uh, I, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, obviously this is not one of the first big shutdowns. I mean, when Fox was absorbed by Disney, you, you didn't get this sort of the lamentation, I guess, um, even though there were sizable layoffs when the companies combined. But um, Chris Melodondri, who's the head of Illumination over at Universal, he wrote this long piece on Deadline Hollywood about how great it was and how he sort of discovered, uh, not so much discovered, but was charged with starting an animation division at Fox at the time. And he just, you know, he stumbled upon Chris Wedge and his team, and that ultimately became Blue Sky, and they built Ice Age together and all those movies that subsequently built out that franchise. And it just seems like there is a sense that there's a lot of talent there that is just no longer working. Now, obviously there's a lot of people who feel that eventually things will, you know, they'll find other work or what have you, but I think it's a lot of, it's just an, uh, another thing that is just, sort of shocked the industry in the last year or so. And I think a lot of the sort of um, loss of blue sky to a lot of people is just sort of the end of an era per se. Um, and, and I think for, you know, Chris to come out and say like, this was such a great experience for me and, and the, the, what he's built at Illumination and it all started with, with the blue sky team. 
Um, I, I'm confident that eventually some, someone will come along and scoop up that team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, as we were talking pre-show, you'd have to imagine, given how savvy Disney can be, that they may have approached sort of the Apples and the Netflixes and Amazons. Hey, we have this animation team. Do you want to buy them? And it's interesting to me that none of them did because animation is an opportunity, and especially with all of us sitting at home, <laughs> staring yeah. at screens. Yeah, I, one, I agree with you. It's kind of the sign of the times. We recognize that things are changing in that way. Um, yeah. But when you create a diaspora, like when you start sending people out into the world, there's a this great book, The Starfish and the Spider, and it kind of addresses this idea directly. Like you think you're kind of shutting something down, but you really just sent out hundreds of people to compete with you in the future. And um, the, with the way that the industry is moving and the, the distribution models being so easy to get into, you clearly are starting teams that are out there. It's almost pretty exciting what we know will happen, but in the moment, the hit is there. Um, what's interesting to me is like the, this news and the Skydance animation Apple um, deal almost comes week after week. And that really is what kind of sparked that idea of like, you wonder if there wasn't you know, Apple shopping and knowing there were other, other things happening. And when they chose Lassiter and Skydance over the existing team that Disney had at Fox, because we should say like, <clears throat> Disney has a relationship with Apple. <clears throat> Sorry. Disney has a relationship with Apple. That's very clear. Mm -hmm. The Steve Jobs family is one of the biggest shareholders at Disney. So that there's a clear relationship there. But also the fact that Skydance has Lassiter and Steve Jobs once owned John Lasseter at Pixar, there's a relationship there. So you know there are a very small circle of people that knew what was going on. And you almost wonder, because of the Skydance deal with Apple, if Disney realized, okay, then that was our buyer moved on. I mean, we're speculating, but it's so closely related and the families are so closely related. It would yeah. make sense that we're seeing that play out. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Apple deal makes sense, again, because you said they're there, there's history there, but there's also recent history. You know, they, the Wolf Walkers, which was a recent Apple production, which is an animated feature, was done, I believe, through Skydance Animation. So there is a sense that the, that relationship is already fomenting, and they know the team. I'm sure Lasseter has his group of animators that he trusts after years of working in the animation space. Um, so I think that you're, you're right. I think once the Apple thing, they said, no, we're going with this team. I think that was kind of a sign for Disney that, okay, we don't really have anything for Blue Sky to do. Again, I'm, I'm surprised that Amazon and or Netflix didn't step up. I know Netflix is building a huge animation, animation space, I believe in Culver City. So, you know, there's got to be some opportunity there. So I'm not necessarily convinced that, you know, Blue Sky is sort of, in the past, I think a lot of that talent may end up somewhere else. Yeah, sure. And if they don't, you and I should scoop it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pull our resources. <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the pessimism that seems to be growing within the industry, though. Um, yeah. We could talk about in a minute just the, what Scorsese is talking about and his, what he, how he laments this idea of quote-unquote content, content opposed yeah. to cinema or mm -hmm. filmmaking of these kind of more artistic forms. But overall, there just seems to be a growing pessimism. This uh, LinkedIn uh, article that um, we read really kind of highlights what people are honestly feeling about this industry. Um, is it growing? Um, are there a lot of unemployed people? Can you get back in the race? Um, 
And I'll, I'll say there, you know, being in this industry, it's very competitive, right? So being out of the industry for a year is like being out of it for 10 years. Um, the, the old saying, you're as good as your last gig really is a saying in Hollywood because you kind of grab people that are hot. It's a talent-based um, kind of acquisition, not unlike a sports team. Same thing with a sports team. You're grabbing people that are hot in the moment because the job is to win. And there's so many variables, especially in a subjective nature, that you can't take risks on people that don't seem to be in a winning cycle. Um, so I'm sure that that compounds people's fears and concerns about what this, what's happening with an industry and will it, can it recover to a normal level or we'll say like a previous level um, or what is the makeup of the industry? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot. I mean, I totally understand the, uh, the pessimism. I mean, I've got a lot of friends in LA who are not working, who have been laid off. Um, you know, production people who are trying to figure out how to get back on set because sets are a lot smaller now. They're not allowing as many people on. So there's a lot more of the junior and up and coming production people who can't find work. Um, you know, so I think I understand the pessimism, but I, again, as sort of we've been stressing on this podcast a lot is that it's also opportunity to find new ways to do things. Um, and I think I think what's going to ultimately happen is when the industry does recover in some shape or form, it's not going to be like it was a year ago. It's going to be a different ball game. We're going to have different players on the field. I don't think theaters are going to look the same. Um, we, 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 there's so much unpredictability out there. We don't really know where it's going. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for sure when the industry is going to recover hundred percent because I don't. And, you know, I think what really we have to kind of take a step back and look at is again, the opportunities. I mean, we talked a little bit last week about what happened with Gina Carano and you know, she was sort of let go by Disney plus and Lucasfilm or Disney and Lucasfilm. And then Daily Wire and Ben Spears team came in and swooped her up. Like a year ago, that wouldn't have been even on the table. She would have been probably toast. She would have yeah. been done in the industry, but there is a growing sense that there needs, there's more opportunity and that the model that has more or less been in place since the late fifties is basically gone. And now is the time when there are, there is a lot of struggle, but there's also opportunity. There's ways in which the industry can shift. And I think that's important for us to remember that there is, there are going to be future opportunities right now, even though because of all the sort of breaking down of the traditional way of doing things over the last 40 or 50 years um, is falling apart. That does mean that there will be opportunities. Yeah. I, I honestly think when, it's so funny to use the word recover because yeah. I don't think what we mean is bounce back to a normal place. I think what you and I are looking at is, Hey, there are the structures are have broken and fallen, but the rebuild is the recovery in a way. Yeah. And so you can imagine like after the destruction is what's there. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. Like the, the cinematic experience that we all once understood and knew is what's going to evolve and change. Um, even just people's desire to sit next to each other, to walk down an aisle at a grocery store, there's some very weird human behaviors that aren't just happening regionally, it's happening right. globally. globally. Um, and this weird global kind of uh, confusion of how we're gonna interact together to go uh, crowd yourself into a, a small space doesn't seem to be what everyone's desire is. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I can see my local theater going with like private parties and understanding there's a nostalgia or a re-effect to this cinematic watching, watching mm -hmm. and trying to rebuild it that way, like party by party, which is, I think yeah. is a great move, a survival move. 
Um, but if you're the one making content, you can't sell it. You can't sell uh, movie theaters at a hundred people a time in small, small groups through the theater. You have to find money in a different way and you have to get back to what you're used to blockbuster budgets and blockbuster mm -hmm. content. Um, I do think there's going to be an impact on the content we're going to see. I mean, I'll bet the rise of rom-com is going to totally jump in again because you're not going to do gigantic visual effects jobs that we are uh, shows that we've been watching maybe for the last 10, 15 years, these big gigantic um, effects um, films that we've been watching it has to go away. It takes too many people to make those films, too many people on set. There's a lot of technology, large investment where a rom-com is, you know, a couple, maybe five people total in a cast. Uh, you can keep the, the shooting small. You can keep the script simple and you can probably burn this turn and burn this stuff out for, you know, a few dollars. And when you're looking for content to put on a platform, why not go for a smaller, easier uh, kind of lift? So we'll see some shifts and changes even that way. That's not a recovery back to the days where Marvel was dominating uh, the theaters, but it'll be something, you know, pulling itself out. Well, it's interesting because you brought up the Scorsese article and for our listeners and viewers, um, he wrote a piece in Harper's this past week. Um, it was more about Federico Fellini and sort of how his movies sort of really inspired more Scorsese's love of cinema. Um, but there was also a sort of jab at the whole concept of content and how everything has now become content. And like a long form commercial is now content. And he's wishing for the days when, you know, it was cinema. Cinema was a distinctive piece from sort of everything else. And now everything's just content. Um, and contrary to that, a, a critic at large at National Review, Kyle Smith, wrote a piece basically saying, you know, this is Scorsese longing for the old days. He wants to be 17 again. Those days are gone. Um, well, you know, we can have a disagreement of terms about how important going to the theaters is and the, the experience of going to a cinema. The idea that content is sort of a, a bad word in Kyle Smith's view is like, okay, but at the same time, look at all these people that are being exposed to all these great classic movies. You have Turner Classic Movies, Amazon Prime, which, and Netflix, and all these places where people can find movies that are classics that they wouldn't be able to find. You know, they would have to go find the local independent theater that just happened to be running Godfather for that particular point in time. But is that so, missing the point? Like, isn't that in a way, recognizing that these classics just became content. I mean, they basically become a commodity like, hey, well, it's on Turner Classic Movies. Isn't yeah. the same thing as going into a theater and seeing, seeing an art film or seeing a, having a cinematic experience? That's just yeah. watching the thing. Yeah. Like simply watching it is not the same thing as experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And you almost wonder if like the content world is almost, uh, content word is almost unfair to use of how often we think of it as just like, oh, something, something to have, you know, um, that, you know, speculating again, that Disney pushing out blue sky is this thought of like, we're just after the content. We basically want the library and then we're going to move on the talent and the people. Um, I do think it's interesting because Scorsese had the benefit of being part of the blockbuster movement. You know, mm -hmm. like he was part of the small packet people, the Spielberg, Lucas, yeah. Um, Brian De Palma's uh, Scorsese, Coppola, right? These, this small band of people that started the blockbuster movement. And I guarantee you there was people at that moment lamenting the art film days and saying, no, it's supposed to be a cinematic <laughs> experience. It's supposed right. to be something small. It's an intimate thing. Right. You, put a, you could put a camera in someone's face where you couldn't do that in the theater, you know, the live theater, this is moment. 
and these guys are doing these gigantic films that there's a somewhat of an evolution that takes place no matter what. Um, yeah. I do think this is a bigger move. This is not just um, uh, artistic expression or evolution. This is a, a total change of the platform itself, how we understand what we consume, how much we consume it. Right. Um, and when we're looking at things that are measured by the minute, how many minutes did someone watch this? That obviously takes something that was once, um, you know, someone's art form and turn it into a total commodity. Mm -hmm. It's almost like taking a, taking a Rembrandt and then saying, yeah, but how many brush strokes did he use? How much, how many pounds of paint did he use? Cause I'm going to pay for it by the pound, not yeah. the expression. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, 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 I understand Scorsese's point um, because, you know, I remember when I went to the theater and I saw some of the classics of the eighties and nineties and I remember those experiences and you remember going to a horror movie with friends. I remember going to see comedies in college. I mean, there, there is something to the experience of going to the theater, but I don't necessarily think that the experience of theater and cinema are necessarily the same thing. And I do think that, you know, everything is changing. And, you know, I think Scorsese is sort of being the guy sort of, you know, um, sitting out on his lawn saying, get these kids off my lawn, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, being the guy who's like, you know, oh, lad, stop this. This is nonsense, you know, so kind of thing. And I, I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it, it still allows stories to be told. And you brought up rom-coms, which is a great point, because that was something the studios had abandoned. They just gave up. And Netflix just swooped in there and was like, hey, we've got Kissing Booth and all these other, Emily in Paris and all these movies that just sort of pop up and TV shows that are sort of focused on that genre. And it, they, they struck a nerve that clearly the studios had just moved on because everyone was so obsessed with IP and Marvel and you know having that built-in audience that they were like, you know, we don't want to spend money on an original piece of content. And I think what Scorsese may be forgetting is because back when he started, there were sort of groundbreakers at the time that they were sort of the, the kids and, you know, breaking the, you know, breaking the, the kitchenware and, you know, making a mess. Yeah. Because they were new and there was an established system and they broke it basically. And they rose through that system. And now the same thing is happening with Netflix and Am there's more opportunity for more people to tell stories. And I think that's really what we, we should be excited about. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's, um, and we preach this a lot here. It's just like, you have to, you have to think differently about what, what's actually happening to the industry and recognize, I, I like to say, it's good to ask. You have to find the right question to ask. Like, don't look for the answers. Like, look for the questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And that idea of like what it means to um, evolve an industry or evolve your career in a certain industry or even just you know evolve in recognizing what your dream might be was might be something different and a different kind of achievement when we're um, in the in the future, and and know that that's always been part of the world we live in. There is something to kind of grasp when you're navigating through this Hollywood career that we're all trying to live out. Yeah, it's interesting you brought out um, asking questions. I've been reading a book by Adam Grant. Um, called Think Again, and those of you who don't know Adam Grant, he is a professor of or, um, organizational psychology, I believe, at Wharton School of Business, which is uh, Penn School of Business. He's highly renowned, voted like best professor the last like seven years. And his, his, the latest book is, is about sort of breaking down those barriers. He, I'm only about 40 p pages in, so I apologize, Adam, if you 
by any chance happen to hear this or watch it, if I'm totally ruining your theory, but basically um, he says that we're, we break ourselves into sort of three categories when we start sort of siloing into a certain view of things. We become sort of like preachers in the beginning. So we're sort of evangelists for our point of view. And then we become prosecutors where we sort of start picking apart people's arguments against our point of view. And then we become a politician, which means we, we do whatever we have, we say whatever we have to do to make sure that it fits our current point of view. And his basic gist is, no, we should start thinking about as like scientists and being willing to test our hypotheses and co constantly challenging how we view things and it's not necessarily saying, what's the problem we have to address? It's more like, what are the great questions we have to ask? And I think this book is very timely because of all the things, not in general what's happening in the culture and sort of the polarization, political and otherwise happening in the country, but also a lot of these industries that are sort of, that have been built over the course of the last hundred years that have all of a sudden having to face this evolution and I really think anyone who works in the industry right now, especially if you're like a higher up, should really read this book to start challenging their assumptions about what we think the next year or two is going to be like. And looking not at this as sort of like, oh, no, my business is failing or, oh, no, movies are never going to be the same. Yeah, they may never be the same, but there's always going to be people who want to watch movies and tell stories. Yeah. So how do we take this opportunity to think and look at this differently? and look for opportunities that we can kind of, um, we can figure out a way to attack sort of the next way forward. Yeah, especially if, if the game that people want to play now is attention, mm -hmm. um, like trying to get people's attention, how long can I distract them? How many minutes did I win over somebody else? If that's what commerce is based on right now, then you're obviously in a different playing field than uh, trying to sell tickets in a, in a theater or whatever. <clears throat> it's, that's a funny evolution I used to, I, I say, eventually the pirates become the navy right so you you have the people that come in and they change everything but then once they take over the land they have to protect the land that they took over so the yeah. pirates become the navy um at that point you kind of recognize like well then you're basically holding on you're slowing things down yourself because you want to preserve the situation you're in um what we're in now in industry is not a preservation mode it's a promotion mode like it's a time to do something very different to think differently mm -hmm. about it and we've been seeing this uh, take place in many of these large studios and OTT um, groups that we've been looking at. So many changes are taking place, even just within the heads of marketing, who's coming in, how they're looking at um, the different playing field. It's almost from the outsider, we don't recognize how all these players would even fit together because yeah. they, you don't put... Uh, two executives of film distribution together in the same studio. That doesn't make any sense. But someone like Amazon is going out and doing that, or Disney has, has restructured things to have their distribution and marketing models be combined where they used to all be siloed because of the different types of distribution. You need a different type of focus. Um, that is opportunity for all of us to recognize like the, the placeholders that are being put in place are people asking new questions. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the reference what you just spoke about, uh, Disney, uh, Amazon, sorry, hired um, Greg Coleman from Disney to sort of oversee their genre and franchise marketing. The big, big piece that he's going to oversee is their Lord of the Rings series, which, as many of you may know, they spent a boatload of cash to uh, bring that on board. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that strikes out. I, I feel like we need to have Cameron back on to get a sense of what exactly is happening behind the doors at Amazon because you're right. I mean, uh, 
to me from an outsider, not necessarily, you know, in the inner workings of Amazon, you know, you have Greg Coleman, but you also have Christian Davin, who's supposed to be running sort of the marketing for the studio. And Greg Coleman is apparently not going to only handle series, he's also going to handle films. So what, what exactly, where that, where's that going to leave Christian in terms of his? Is he only going to work on the sort of more independent films? Well, that's interesting because his background, he worked at Warner Brothers for years, worked on a lot of their big titles, was at Netflix for a few years. So he's used to big, big genre titles and big budgets. So is, is, where's that going to fit it in? You know, Greg also reports to the CMO at Amazon Prime Video. Well, what is that? Where's Jen Salki, who's the head of the studio? Where does she fit into that puzzle? So it's, it's a lot of sort of questions about where this is all going. And, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, we know that Amazon Prime Video did a huge reorg in their marketing department. We don't really know the full details of it, which is why I think we should have Is this that pods, pods of Excellence thing? Yeah, it's, I, I, from what I gather, and again, I don't have all the details, but they broke it out by, broke, got broken out by genre, and then they have pods of excellence under each genre. So it's like the pod of excellence would be like social, um, you know, traditional marketing, out of home, that kind of stuff. So I think it's broken up like that. It's, a, it's chaos, apparently, um, from what I gather, but I think we should, as most changes, uh, Amazon, Amazon can be very chaotic at times. So uh, I think, you know, I'll have to reach out to Cameron and see if she'd be willing to come on again. Cameron is our uh, uh, Amazon Prime insider. She's the one she that uh, gives us the inside scoop of what's going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, there's, there's something to me in all this restructure that, you know, <clears throat> in the day that we now have data we're looking at technology, we're building things and making choices very differently. Even just the measurement of, of viewing audience. You almost wonder if these old players, or I'll say like existing players, go into a new space, if they actually are bringing a new theory into this space. And they've recognized that evolution or change and they're, they're future casting something we can't currently see. So it's exciting to kind of watch and hear what's going on and who these players are, because they're the ones that are going to be making a future that you're that you're going to be making your film in anyway, or, or building your TV show into into one of these um, ideas. Um, but also just to recognize, like I, I I always think like follow the money, right? So when we do show launch or we teach people the reverse engineering of content, um, what we want people to recognize is you have to know why you're making the film first, who the audience appeals to. Uh, where that fits, and then decide what show to make or what film to make. The, the what comes later when you kind of know, you know, what the strategy and distribution and ideas are way, you know, way before. If you're just thinking, I want to make, I have this great idea for, uh, of a piece of content and somebody's going to buy it, you're taking a shot in the dark. With the changing landscape, you might be making something that doesn't even, nobody even cares about anymore. Um, right. We talked about the video game industry evolving and taking up so many so many hours of someone's time in really a new developing content space. That your idea of of uh, you know a thirty minute television show that you want people to be distracted with too, you're gonna it's going to be um, a heavy competition out there for people's time and effort. So your what might not always match, but if you reverse engineer your kind of thinking, there's opportunity everywhere. And maybe there's an evolution of your idea um, playing itself out. Um, so these big players moving within these studios are kind of our indication of what's going to be the priority, what, how the decisions are going to be made, where the investments are going to be made, where they're going to spend their money. And that's important for you to know if you're making content. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is going to be interesting to see like where the chips fall over the course of the next few months. And, 
you know, we, the Cruella DeVille just released their, Disney just released Cruella, the trailer for their latest, you know, animation remake, live in action remake. And they didn't say whether or not it's going to be Disney Plus or in theater. So we still have that whole, like, when, when are things going to start evolving back to the way they were? And, you know, so it, it is going to be interesting to see, like, how the next few months and weeks and years even, where we're going to head. And, you know, it's tough to see with all these changes that are happening at the various streamers and also the studios sort of just kind of standing back and being like, okay, we're, we're waiting to see when things get back to normal and then we can start putting movies back in theaters. You know, I really think there needs to be a sense in the studios to sort of like a reference Adam Grant's book again, to really start thinking again about how we're going to rebuild this model. The studios have a way of doing things that I think is important to preserve. And there are people at the studios who know how to make great movies. The marketing machine at studios is great. They know how to make a movie, a event film. So maybe some of the streamers can learn from that process, you know, and, but at the same time, I think the studios themselves need to learn how to be a little bit more agile in terms of how they produce their movies. I mean, you're going to, they're going to be agile producing their movies. Yeah. They don't have a choice. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. They don't have a choice, but it's interesting. You bring up the whole idea, like you, in your show launcher, you determine who the audience is and before you pick the, the movie you want to make. And it's interesting because the studio, that's, that's not how the studios do. The studio's like, I want to make this movie. Let's buy this movie versus like, we have a, an audience that's underserved. Let's go find a good piece of content that will serve that audience. Or, you know, this is the time when we need a, this type of movie. Let's go find that. And that's not how the, the process works. It's basically like the studios get pitched all the time and they just say, okay, we're going to make that one. We're going to make that one. We're going to yeah. make that one. And I think maybe they should start looking at ways that they can um, tackle the process a little differently. Um, and, you know, but it, it does feel arbitrary, but you know, when, you know, when Marvel's pitched as a franchise, they go, okay, franchise works. And then the minute franchise doesn't work anymore, they're going to say, okay, we're not gonna make franchise anymore. We're gonna make rom-com anymore. Like, you know, like it's, I, I feel like um, Hollywood is always a trending moment. It's always like trying to live in pop culture. So it's trying to find the thing that works. Um, by the way, also, I think Corella Deville is just wicked. I think it's just the the concept of wicked for Wizard of Oz being played out with a Disney villain, right? Because now she's a sympathetic evil. Yeah, like I'm like, this is a they it's stole the idea. It's following in the in the footpath of Maleficent, which like you're never going to get a top name actress like an Emma Stone or a Angelina Jolie if you're just going to have them be a standard villain. That's just not fun for necessarily. They want to do a, a character that evolves. Wasn't Glenn so, Close? Glenn Close was Cruella Deville. Yeah, but she was Cruella Deville in 101 Dalmatians. So she oh, was yeah, bad, right. period. Like she was just bad. Whereas yeah. this is sort of, it's playing on like, oh, Emma, you know, finds her confidence and, you know, then becomes Cruella. And it's a similar to, you know, Maleficent, where we always thought Maleficent was just evil. But in Maleficent, they give her more of a backstory. Oh, King Stefan actually is a, he's an a-hole. He's not a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's what turns her, you know, she's just so trying to So that's why I became him. a murderous uh, dog. Yeah, killer. that's why I became an evil witch. <laughs> but, right. you know, it, 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 yeah, it, you're right. It does sound like, it's a lot, it's similar to It's witches. just wicked. It's the wicked it's a, concept. They're just taking, it's very, I'm, 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 I'm upset I didn't think of that because that's yeah, actually yeah. good. <laughs> right, these victims. I was reading the Reddit about it, and man, they were just tearing it apart. Of like, so you kill 101 puppies because yes. you had a bad day, or whatever. You had a bad like, day, right? 
it's hard to like like yeah, there, I, some of the people on twitter were like oh so i get it so girl power to murder of puppies totally makes sense <laughs> Right. So I mean, they're gonna have a little bit of a they're gonna have a little bit of an overcome when it comes time to release that movie yeah. in terms of the messaging. But I think um, what we'll see know. is revisionist history playing itself out when they release Probably. who she was, whatever. Probably. All right, my friend. Um, I think there there's a good half hour of everything that we see going on here. There's a, a few other um, kind of small pieces that we see every single week, and um, we're always happy to kind of jump on a phone call, have a conversation with you. As you, as you know, Keith is out there really uh, helping studios right now kind of put that strategy in place and build up that marketing pieces for them. So uh, he knows the pieces and parts that are happening out there. Um, and we love just, just to get that, those little glimpses of what's going on in the inside rooms that Keith's sitting in to the conversations we're gonna have here live. So Keith, I, I know you have to hold back some of it. I know you have to hold back a little bit here. I do. <laughs> um, but the- Can't uh, blab it all at once. <laughs> Um, but there are actually some big kind of conversations that I, I know that you're having out there with, um, with some of these studios and players to um, make some content. And yep. uh, I, as you can't tell me, you can't tell me any more than you can tell anybody else, but uh, I know I'm getting a hint of the conversation you have out there. So I appreciate your time and putting that there for us. Yeah. Um, I'm always here you all. Yeah, I appreciate it. And you and your friends. Get your, I think we're gonna. I know there's a couple people out there. I'm I'm watching some of the chatter. We're gonna get some um, some yeah, we got insiders some, joining us. We got some new guests potentially lined up for the weeks to come. So you know, watch this space and stay subscribed, and you'll uh, you'll be kept up to date. So um, thank you all for listening. If you are interested in hearing more, please subscribe to our channel. We are on YouTube, Hollywood Breaks. Revthink.com is uh, my company's name and Hollywood Breaks exists under Revthink.com. Uh, I am Tim Thompson. This is Keith Rao. Um, feel, feel free to find us and hit us and direct message us. And of course, those of us, those of you listening here on, um, on what's Clubhouse. this platform? Clubhouse. Thank you. <laughs> what's this platform called? This is nice. Uh, <laughs> How's this thing work? <laughs> That was you, my friend, not me. Yeah, that was me. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. Um, I didn't and we can't, I got to be honest with you, we wouldn't have any of this together if it wasn't for Lydia behind the scenes. Lydia, thank you for all that you do. Go Social and Curly Joe. Thanks for all you guys and your support making this happen. And we'll see you again next week on Hollywood Breaks.